0: Before you and I can be Jesus' disciples and be fishers of men and women, we have to take the first step in the Gospel reading, which is to believe and repent. And so the readings today, I think were somewhat challenging. So it feels a little bit like Ash Wednesday. It feels a little bit like the beginning of Lent. We know Lent is coming this year uh, rather quickly. So what I want to try to help us do a little bit is pregame for that Ash Wednesday celebration. Um, I was struggling all week long um, in prayer, listening to that first reading to Jonah having to go out as a prophet and call the people a nation to repentance. That's the burden we bear as preachers, uh, being responsible, being ministers of the word of God. There's always fear of calling others to accountability, but God is always faithful. So the question that I proposed to God in prayer was, how did the entire nation of Nineveh Heed the call to repent. How did that? How did that happen? And I, I I, I mean, wholeheartedly put that before the Lord and listened. And the response that I got back uh, by the end of the week is uh, from the Lord was that they were desperate enough. Right? They were uncomfortable being dis. Uh, uh, they were, um, excuse me. They were uh, uh, willing to change. Right? They were willing to choose life and enter into uh, this place that Jesus calls us to. And looking out into the scope of our nation and of our culture and of our church, we face similar desperate situations that we need to change. and so, But before we can um, be that disciple that Jesus wants us to be, we have to know what's wrong. We have to know what to change and how to change. And so that's kind of where I went in my homily to get us into that place to uh, think about those things that we need uh, to change. And so what I want to do today is just... uh, Go through and and help us to see what we might need to change Or what um, uh, aspects of our Christian life in America That we're struggling with So I found a a Christian author, a blogger From the evangelical world named Stephen Madison Um, Some of you probably don't know who he is But I think his analysis of where our church is at uh, Is right on And he's not a pessimist But the title of his article and his blog Sounds a little pessimistic But he says the six worst things about American Christianity. So I kind of want to take some of his writing about that to give us, again, uh, that self-awareness collectively as a people to know how to to believe and to repent and to change. And he writes uh, alternative articles, the six best things about being an American Catholic. So I'll I'll leave that to you for going reading. Um, And so in reflecting in this way, I'm gonna throw some ideas at you that are somewhat philosophical or analytical, but I don't want you to get caught up in the details. I want you to think about how is it our god is calling us in our generation to repent and change what do i need to do how do i contribute how do i believe and repent that's that's the main goal of um, this call so he says uh, the first way that he sees our church struggling is infighting he says this instead of unifying believers christ has become a symbol of discontentment and divisiveness christians publicly humiliate each other and hatefully condemn those they disagree with or other denominations that split over minor differences. Facebook and Twitter are used as a platform to spread hurtful comments and derogatory means and are used as vicious tools of attacks. People spew degrading opinions and gossip, often without provocation. Disdain reaches distracting proportions or drastic proportions and accusations of being a heretic are freely given to various individuals who simply have new, bold, different ideas. American Christians have forgotten how to dialogue and to respectfully disagree. We've abandoned concepts like grace, humility, and love and have devolved into critics instead of encouragers, instigators instead of peacemakers, debaters instead of friends, reactionists instead of innovators. We crave independence and avoid teamwork and prefer communities who share similar theological, political, and social beliefs Exclusiveness is preferred over acceptance. We religiously bolster our personal ideologies instead of readily listening to others. Meanwhile, the rest of the world watches as we destroy ourselves and the gospel we represent, end quote. Okay, and again, you know, hearing that critique, some of us might feel a little bit reactionary to that, but I think there's some truth in it right we live in a modern world where we communicate with one another we constantly have to dialogue with one another but we have to be careful how we're being perceived by others and the means that we communicate right infighting is always a temptation right there's always a different camp that's a little bit different uh, than the way that i think or a little bit different than the way that i look i picked on our seminarians that were here uh, earlier at the 830 mass 845 mass When I was in seminary at SJV, the diocesan seminaries would always tease the friars because we were different, we wore sandals, we didn't have nice shiny shoes, we had uh, rugged beards and the hood. And so uh, even in our appearance there was difference. And we would give it back, we would banter back and forth and we would say that they look like penguins, right? So, uh, but we have to be careful because if somebody who is weak in faith hears that banter It could dissuade them from moving away from the gospel. That's what he's saying. Next, he says, Oftentimes in the church, there are unfair and inaccurate associations. What does he mean by that? Unfair and inaccurate associations. He says, American Christianity is obsessed with labels. We ascribe names, descriptors, and titles of various theologies, denominations, movements, political ideas, and social ideologies. We judge individuals based on the flimsiest of associations in order to fulfill our superficial stereotypes. Mystery and ambiguity is mistakenly perceived as ignorance, and so we categorize everyone, including ourselves. We live in an age where the term Christian means millions of different things to millions of different people. And to make matters worse, non-Christians have their own associations often warranted. Therefore. An individual claiming to be a Christian can be misinterpreted as being homophobic, conservative, anti-science, sexist, and those even those descriptions may be completely inaccurate. Christian groups and organizations reinforce negative perception through campaigns, lobbying efforts, institutionalized doctrines, public comments and actions, making it harder to break down preconceived stereotypes that our popular culture and media continue to associate with jesus for believers the term christian is just the beginning label a generic description meant to be broken down and dissected what type of christian are they are they a moderate are they a liberal are they a conservative a charismatic what style of worship do they prefer what translation of the bible do they use the classifications go on and on and on forever American Christianity is a complex and diverse array of beliefs and ideologies and every individual is unique, but we prefer to reduce everything through labels, forfeiting truth for the sake of compartmentalization and simplification, end quote. And so again, I think his analysis is somewhat right on. There's a tendency within our human nature to reduce everything that's quick and easy, and we have to be careful because that can reduce the gospel to pragmatism. And for me, the most life-giving ministry that I've worked in, I worked as a hospital chaplain for the United States Army at Fort Carson. It was in an ecumenical ministry. I represented the Catholic faith and the Catholic church as uh, the Catholic chaplain at the hospital, but I worked with a host of other denominations in the military. There's a host of different cultures, a host of different beliefs, but what unified us was our mutual respect for one another and our Uh, Acknowledgement that all of us were making sacrifices for one another, which is inherently Catholic But none of them recognize that, right? And so when we work with people that have different belief systems or uh, different uh, Areas of formation or or different backgrounds We have to be careful not to reduce them to something that's just different from me And I think uh, I can agree with this author in, in him saying that Let's continue He says uh, there's a speediness and shallowness in our culture and in our church he says our fast-paced culture of celebrity noise and entertainment has trumped our ability to patiently meditate pray and reflect we ignore meaningful content if it's boring time is money and we value being engaged in the here and now Our country is addicted to technology. We use our smartphones, tablets, and laptops to constantly interact, but we fail to take the time to process our thoughts, actions, and behaviors. We communicate in real time as news constantly breaks around us, and we've been trained to tweet, post, text, call, and blog at the speed of light. Controversy is a welcome diversion that distracts us from issues or people that really matter. The most popular theologians and pastors now have their own web platforms, and we expect them to engage us in every newsworthy event, no matter how significant or insignificant it may be. A Christian author may spend years of exhaustive work in order to research, in order to write a book, but we manage to ruthlessly and publicly tear it down within minutes of publication. Mistakes are made, statements are shouted, relationships are ended, and it's often too late to retrace our steps and retract our sins. We sacrifice contentment, care, and thoughtfulness in order to quench our insatiable desire for social interaction and cheap entertainment, end quote. Again, hard to hear, right? But I'm certainly guilty of of that one. And again, that's not to knock our need to evangelize in the technological world, okay? Technology is amoral, but we as Christian agents have to use it for the good. But again, we have to be careful and examine our conscience with how are we being in that forum? How are we for others in that forum? Are we patient enough? Are we taking what we're uh, taking in through media to prayer before the Lord and meditating on the content that's moving into our souls? And when we communicate in that forum, are we putting that before the Lord and saying, Lord, is this what you want me to say today? I don't know if we're good at that. So again, something to think about as we move forward and he Jesus is called to repent a few more. Uh, this one is a little politically charged, but I'll, I'll try to uh, unpack what he's saying. He's saying we're privileged. Okay, so that word privilege has a lot of racial connotation. He's not talking about that. Okay, he's saying that change is hard and when change is hard, we get too comfortable. Okay, he says a common expression goes like this. Why is change a good thing? Why fix something that isn't broken? Any theology or idea or sermon that challenges people to sacrifice or reach beyond their comfort zones is automatically rejected. It's not easily accepted. Many American Christians defend their position so passionately because the greatest beneficiaries of their worldview is themselves. But when people are persecuted, abandoned, ignored, or powerless, their perspective changes And they become open to different paradigms. These new paradigms are invisible and they seem illogical to those that live comfortably, end quote. And this one resonated with me. I grew up in an upper middle class home. I love the fact that my parents were able to provide for me a house, clothes, education, all of that. I'm grateful for that. But that came with its own baggage. And what humbled me and brought me to the life of the gospel was the fact that We're not going to be around forever. So the whole experience of 9-11, our country was vulnerable and weak, and it caused me to ask the question, Okay, if I'm not going to be around forever, what is the purpose of my life? Why did God put me in this generation? What is the purpose of our nation? How do I attain goodness and greatness? And little by little through the things that I valued falling away and being threatened, I felt powerless. And that's when Jesus entered into my life. But when we're comfortable in our suburbs and we're comfortable in our homes, the temptation is, well, I really don't need Jesus because I have everything already. And we have to be careful. Our founder, uh, St. Francis, warned us centuries ago. He says, the more wealth that you have, the more that you have to protect it. The more armies that you need, the more banks that you need, the more vaults that you need to keep your wealth. And Jesus has a lot to say about wealth in the Gospels. And that's his next point. He says, one of the things that we struggle with as church is consumerism. He says, we've turned our faith into a set of costs. And it's becoming increasingly costly to maintain the Christian status quo. When Jesus enters the temple, and becomes furious at what he sees. Vendors who have turned something holy into a commercial marketplace, Jesus turns irate. And he basically tears the place apart because of their sin. But how different is our churches today? The message of Christ should be available and free to everyone. The blessed worship, the best pastors, the best teachers, the best ideas, inspiration and resources should not be reserved only for those who can afford to pay for the latest albums, books, buy tickets to conferences, pay tuition for seminaries, or submit a fee for a retreat. You get the picture. As Christians, we have to be intentional about our finding, our cultural habit of commercializing everything and be willing to generously offer our gifts and resources freely to those and especially those most in need with no strings attached and quote. And again, I think we live in a beautiful country, a free market country that is driven by economy, but we have to resist the temptation to commercialize Christ, right? He comes to us freely. He gives freely. And those who can't afford to come uh, to the great opportunities that we've been given in this country, we have to make sure that they have the same opportunities. And I know that's hard, and I know that's an ideal that we have to strive for, but that's, I think, a true critique that Westerners get caught up in, especially if you meet people from other country, uh, other countries that don't have the same economic status that we do. Lastly, he says this. He says, our church in America is obsessed with power. What does he mean by that? He says this. American Christianity has historically and been vastly institutional political and has had social power a power hungry Christian has a view uh, views uh, faith as a battle a series of wins and losses control and influence is valued above all else and Christianity's success is measured by research statistics attendance and the success of church supported laws at the state and federal and local levels. Success is hardly gauged by the fruits of the spirit, or how well we're following Christ's example A thirst for power results in Christians who prefer political might over spiritual strength legal enforcement over personal choice Conscription over evangelism punishment over grace fear over hope control over love In extreme cases even violence and aggression is viewed as necessary uh, means of gaining power It forces us to care less. Uh, Christianity forces us to care uh, less about power and more about the gospel of Christ. Jesus routinely sacrificed his worldly power for humble service and love. But is selfless love something that we're interested as American Christians? And he leaves us with that question. Again, these are all hard pills to swallow, hard things to think about as church. But God is calling us in this generation. And I love the fact that I was able to be an American in this country. I love the fact that we have our religious freedoms and all the blessings that there are in this country. But as Christians, we always have to examine, as a people, are we heeding the call of the gospel? Are we heeding the call to repent and be Jesus' disciples? I hope so. I hope so. My sisters and brothers, uh, let's come to the Eucharist today and let's pray for our church. Let's pray for renewal in our church. Let's pray for renewal in our homes, in our communities, and, and heed Christ's call to repent and believe in the good news. So we can reflect to the littlest members of our society, those who don't know Jesus yet, how awesome our God is and how awesome our faith is as Roman Catholics. Amen. So I've been kindly asked,